Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. The 0-2. Muscles it to center. That's going to drop. One run is home. Scope will try and score, and he will. And the Tigers have the lead. He's done it over and over and over again. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the Tigers radio network yesterday as the Tigers come back in the top of the seventh and what was a super disappointing loss for the Cardinals. I, it's hard to blame anybody for what happened in that inning because it was really just Gygos was hurt and he blew up in a way that you could have never possibly expected him to blow up because he's been tremendous this season. Your closer gets hurt. He ends up having to come out. You bring in Helsley. He is not up for the task, and the Cardinals lose the game as a result. Jamie, I want to start with that one because we'll get to what happened in the first game here in a moment. That was awesome. That was far more enjoyable to watch. (laughs) The second game, though, I do think the big question now is who do the Cardinals turn to as their new closer if... And when Giovanni Gallegos goes on the injured list, I've got one particular nominee for you, if you wouldn't mind me sharing that one. I don't mind. How about Alex Reyes? How about we go with Alex Reyes as your new closer in his last four appearances, seven innings, just five base runners allowed, and has nine strikeouts. Gets out of that big jam. He did what Helsley was not able to do last night. Opponents batting just 167 against him in those four appearances. I think it is time, if Gallegos is down for any period of time, I think it's time to turn to Alex Reyes as your new closer for this club. Yeah, I agree. I thought that uh, myself last night. I also thought another interesting little thing here is maybe Seamart, Carlos Martinez, mm. finds his way back to the closer role. And I know that he's stretched out and they're looking for him to be part of the rotation. And with KK's uncertainty, and Oviedo now battling you know, the the COVID battle that he's got going on. You know, I know he probably slides in there, but I'm just looking at it going, you know what? He's the guy that can do it. And maybe this is a way for Mike Schilt to keep him going. And I don't know the ins and outs of whether or not he could close a game, pitch one inning, and then two or three days later be a, a starter in the rotation. I don't know how that would work, if that's even possible. But, uh, no, I, I think for the time being, Alex Reyes, certainly he's proven in the last, what, handful of games that mm. he's more than capable of doing it. He brings the heat. He's got some smoke. And when he's got that on and, and he's painting the corners of the plate, he's a really effective pitcher. So, for me, it would be Reyes. And then, intriguingly enough, I still think of Martinez in the background. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. From the 260, we've got a texter that agrees with you. I want Carlos Martinez back there as the closer because of his experience. Here's my one concern about that. 
I'm not opposed to Carlos Martinez being the closer. I am concerned that right now, when you've got Oviedo and KK both on the injured list, yeah, you probably prefer right now for Carlos to be in the rotation. So the timing to me isn't right. It's not about me not trusting him in that spot. It's not about me wanting him to be in the rotation for the long term. It's about the other guys that have already gone down with KK being out for the time being. We'll see when he's able to come back. And with Oviedo having the contact tracing, he was apparently exposed to somebody that tested positive. So he's out for the time being. I think you need Carlos in that rotation. So it really comes down to somebody in that bullpen right now that is going to be that new closer for you. I think the correct answer for now is Alex Reyes. Gallegos has earned that role and whatever he's able to come back if he is going to go on the IL, he will be your closer again. But for the time being, I think it's Alex Reyes. All right. We've got to talk, though, about the positive that came from yesterday. Because, Jamie, we had a few guys earn some more playing time out in the outfield after yesterday. How about this from Tyler O'Neill? O'Neill hits it to left field at the wall. Goodbye. Two-run homer, Tyler O'Neill. Fifth home run of the season for O'Neill. 7-0 Cardinals. Your boy, he's back. <laughs> he's, uh, he looked a lot better, um, you know, but uh, he still has got a long way to go before I sit here and go, I'm really confident with, with Tyler O'Neill in the lineup every day. But, yeah, that's the. I guess that's the thing that he possesses that some of the other guys don't is with a crack of a bat, boom, it's a home run. It's gone. You're putting points on the board right away. Touching with, seats. Yeah, we're touching seats right away. And... I wish I could see it more often, although you, know, you look at these five home runs, which isn't bad at all. When you look at the grand scheme of things, I mean, what I say, I said he'd get to 12 before the season started. I know it's a long shot now at this point, but still, I think he's that he has that kind of power that he could be that guy. It's the 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 long pauses in between the the good batting days for him that are problematic for me. Yeah, the Cardinals as a whole right now just don't have the slugging. They are tied for 11th with the Reds in the National League and their slugging percentage on the year, slugging just 401 as a team. And that's that's where the issues have arisen, have have come for them. Their on-base percentage so far this year is tied with the Phillies for third in the league. They're getting on base. They're hitting okay for average at times. They just aren't slugging. They aren't hitting extra base hits. And so when you've got a guy like Tyler O'Neill that has that ability, and we've seen it, he has the opportunity, he has the power to be able to do it. He's just not making contact enough. And the problem is, so you see that early in the game, the first game from Tyler O'Neill, and then you get into the second game of the doubleheader, and he goes 0 for 3 with the strikeout. Exactly. So... You like what you see from him, but then you see what it is in the second game, and this is why he's not a regular for you moving forward, in my opinion, because he's he has the potential, and we all talk so much about the potential, but eventually it has to become production. And for, for Tyler O'Neill, too often it just becomes what can he do as opposed to what has he done for me. I call those players poisonous, all right? And the reason I call them that is because you get this this high off of them when they hit the ball like that. You know, in hockey, when they go out and score an amazing goal, you're like, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking And you're riding high off of that, right? But it, it's not really great. It's poison is what you're actually ingesting because then the next shift, the next at-bat, the next game, boom, 
the floor falls out again. You're right back to square one. But then two games later, boom, there's a good positive thing. So you're back. You're eating the poison again because you think it's going to be miraculous, but it's not, right? So I call those poisonous players because they keep you Oh, they keep you high and low all the time. You remember Yakupov for the Blues a few years back? <laughs> yes, I do. He was that guy for me. Where it was like, you'd see him score a goal and you're like, damn, I-, I am fascinated by the potential of this player. And then you'd watch him for the other like 10, 11 minutes that he was on the ice. You're like, whoa, that guy can't be out there anymore. It's awful. <laughs> we and then, can't keep doing then this. Then all of a sudden, boom, a spinorama, he goes in and scores. You're like, ah, this guy is a number one overall. And that that's how I feel about Tyler O'Neill. Sometimes you get into these games where he hits the long dinger and you're like, oh, I want that in my lineup every day. And then you see it in the lineup every day and you're like, do I really want that in the lineup mm-hmm. every day? So that's that's where we are right now with Tyler O'Neill. That being said, he did earn himself a little bit more playing time because of that homer. Bader yesterday, one for seven overall. Thomas did have the homer. But he was one for four overall. And Matt Carpenter, I think, bought himself another week in the lineup. <laughs> he's going to need some ice bags, though, because he, he's definitely the most hit batter in the Cardinals lineup. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> listen, hes we all know Matt Carpenter's had his struggles this season, but he's batting 196 right now. Tyler <laughs> O'Neill's batting 192. Lane Thomas, 148. Harrison Bader, 215. If Matt Carpenter is around the same as the outfielders that you see out there every day, he's going to get more playing time. He's got to. He He's making $18 million a year. And until the other guys are, I don't know, around 240. Can I get a 240 batting average out there somewhere? <laughs> Please. Can, do I, hear can I get a 235? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do an auction here pretty soon. Of, can we just get one hit consistently? Just one. Oh. And once you get that, you can get Matt Carpenter out of there. But in the meantime, he's going to be out there regularly because he's right now, despite all of his flaws, and there are plenty of them, is still your best option out of those guys. So he's going to get some playing time at third. He's going to get some playing time at DH occasionally. And you're going to see some Tommy Edmond in the outfield as a result. That's just where we are with this Cardinals team. And even though his hit was just a little bloop for an RBI, it looked like a line drive in the box score. <laughs> It works. It works. That's all that matters. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 1114. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at 1130, let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Coming up next, though, I'm not going to go crazy about the Chiefs. I know you guys don't want to hear that from, from me today. That being said, I do want to talk about the crowd that we saw last night. Not because they were awesome, but because I do think it could have an impact on your St. Louis Cardinals. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Second down and three. Big hole. Edwards Alaire will take it to the end zone. What a debut for this guy. And he's over 100 yards. That's 102 yards on a 27-yard touchdown run. That was a nice run for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last night. I want to talk about what you heard in the background, though, that being the crowd. What What is that face that you're giving me right now, Jamie? What's wrong? Nothing. Just I'm evaluating 
in my head what I was watching last night and the crowd and the noise. And I still think they pumped in crowd noise. I don't think that was just straight up Chiefs fans. Okay. They're so rowdy. Well, they didn't. That's just how awesome Chiefs fans are. That being said, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about <laughs> what it means for the Cardinals and what it means for St. Louisans that we were able to see fans in the stands last night. Jamie, that was the first sporting event that felt normal since this pandemic to me. Because we were able to see what it sounds like in a typical game. You didn't look into the crowd and see empty stands. You didn't see virtual fans like we're seeing down in uh, in Orlando right now for the NBA. You didn't see tarps over the entire stands the way that we're seeing up in Edmonton and Toronto for the NHL. There were actual real-life people in the stands watching the game the way that we would typically expect. Now, it was 20%. It was only 17,000 as opposed to your typical 72 at Arrowhead. But if that worked, if we get two, three weeks down the road and there's not a spike in cases in Kansas City from what we just saw last night with 17,000 people gathering at Arrowhead Stadium, I think we are going to start seeing other leagues, other teams calling Kansas City, calling the Chiefs and saying, How'd you do it? What do we need to do to make that possible here? And I think one place that you could see that is with the Cardinals. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it in time for the end of the regular season, but if they are able to make it work in Kansas City, I would fully anticipate that next year, whenever the Cardinals return, they're going to have fans in the stands here in St. Louis. Honestly, I think that within two weeks, if things stay positive about this, meaning they're good, not positive as in testing, um, you're going to have fans everywhere. I'm telling you, every team in every league is going to start exploring it, whether it's the same percentage of fans as we saw last night with the Chiefs. Maybe not. Maybe it's slightly smaller. Maybe they kind of take some baby steps as they figure things out and the logistics of how they're going to do it. Cardinals, certainly a unique situation because of the ballpark village element. You're bringing fans in to watch the game, but then how many fans are going to be across the street? How do you do? Or do they work the same? Meaning, are you going to have to police both entities to make sure it's following certain guidelines? I don't know. That's above my pay grade for sure. But I do know that if in two weeks from now, the 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 feedback is that the virus did not. There wasn't an outbreak because of this football game that happened. Then. One, every NFL team is going to be exploring this. I think they're going to be exploring it anyway starting Sunday. I think it's I think it's a done deal. Uh, but I think the baseball teams, whoever's left at that point, absolutely 100% going to explore all these avenues. So the one thing that I will push back on a little bit, I don't know that you can do it indoor. Like the, the hockey arenas, I think is going to be the last place I where this is to, able to happen. The number would have to be really low, right? Like... I, and I think it's the uncertainty of how it would even spread in a closed right. environment. I don't, like I said, above my pay grade, but I do think come around for next hockey season, they'll have an idea of what percentage could possibly go to the game. Absolutely. So that that's the one thing that I will push back on. But that being said, like with baseball, they're talking right now about what do we do for this bubble scenario for the postseason, right? I would fully anticipate that if they are able to have that all set up, ready to go, and they know where everything's going to be set up in the postseason, I think you're going to have fans in the stands for the playoffs in Major League Baseball. I think if if I'm baseball, I'm looking at this right now saying, okay, 
We can make it through the 60 games without fans in the stands, but we got to have fans out there for the postseason. Even if that doesn't mean that we are going to have, while the Cardinals are playing the Cubs, maybe you don't have Cardinals and Cubs fans in the stands, but maybe those two are playing in Dallas or Houston, and you have people from Dallas and Houston that are at least able to be out there. Maybe instead of 40,000, it's 10,000 people that are out there. Something is better than nothing. We know this about billionaires. They are not in the business of just giving up money if it's out there to be had. And right now, with what we just saw last night in Kansas City, that money is out there. There are people that will go to these games to watch these teams play live sporting events. And now we know that it potentially can work if two, three weeks down the road, there's not a spike in these cases as a result. Well, see, that's kind of where I'm pushing back a little bit here because I'm kind of curious. Kansas City just won a Super Bowl. So, of course, a lot of fans are going to want to go out and go to the see that team play. And of the set, what was it, 17,000, you said? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they sold that 100% out right away. The place that would inter- interest me the most would be teams where it's a mediocre team or a team that is in a playoff race, like here in St. Louis. Will some people still be concerned about the virus and be willing to go spend the money? I mean, I would go to a game, but I'm a big sports fan. If you're just the casual sports fan, are you going to go? And that's the people that you have to kind of get in as well. I don't know if leagues can survive just on your diehard sports fans. No, they're not going to survive. That's for sure. But what it is, it's, it's in the business world, it's found money, right? Because there was zero anticipation for Major League Baseball to have fans and stands. And so their bottom line, what they look at is, oh, wow, we have a chance to change that bottom line to not be so awful. It's not going to be a tremendous upgrade, but we're going to be able to cushion that a little bit by having some people in the crowd. Guess what? We're doing it. Doesn't matter. That's just like found money. Like you're walking down the street, and you pick it up in your hand. Like, wow, look what I just found. That's what fans in the stands will be for baseball if they allow them for the playoffs. And if you're, let's say you're the Tampa Bay Rays, right? And you already have an attendance problem in general. You're probably not going to get 10,000 people in the stands right now. But can you get two or three? And if you can get two <laughs> or three and you're charging 100 or 50, 60 bucks a ticket, well, suddenly you're talking about a decent amount of money that you're bringing in. So if you're going down to Dallas or Houston and you can get 5,000 fans in the stands for each of these postseason games, well, each team has a three-game series to kick things off, and we've got, what, now six postseason teams in each each league? Now you're talking about some real money to be had for these leagues, and that— They care about that. They want that gate receipt. They want to be able to get that money for the parking. They want to be able to get that uh, money for whatever the merchandise is that they're selling there, the concessions that they're selling, the beer. Uh All of this starts to add up really quickly, especially when you're comparing it to zero. What what interests me a little bit here with the the bubble idea for baseball and just off of what we just said, you know, not necessarily is it Cardinals or Cubs fans that are there. But I'm just wondering how these cities will handle certain things because you better believe because the, the, the diehard fan, like Tanner talked about, diehard fan, the diehard fan's going to get in his truck and drive down yeah. to Dallas, right? Now, how many of them are there? What kind of an influx of people are going to hit your town just because you're the bubble town for baseball? And how many teams are going to be there? So let's say there's six teams that are playing in one bubble. Well, you better believe there's going to be a population increase there because people are going to want to get into the games. So uh, it's going to be interesting for me to see how the local officials, the state officials, how they handle that. Because if there's an outbreak of any kind and you have all these different entities coming to your city, to me, that's where the risk would lie. Sure. and But that, that risk is there. If but it's not are... there on a normal basis. 
because sure. you're bringing people in to an area and they're going to be consolidated in one small area. I think that's where it comes back to what is the capacity. I mean, if you're talking about a capacity of 20% at um, one of these baseball stadiums right now, it's like 5,000 fans. And that's that's not going to be a massive influx of people into any town, even if you get to the actual No, but it's the mass, people who don't get capacity. to go to the game that wanted to go, that tried to buy tickets, that are coming in for the next game or to watch n- another team play. It's it's a multiplier. Yeah, so like with that 5,000 scenario, to me, if it's Cubs, Cardinals playing in Texas, 4,000 of that 5,000, to me, minimum, is Cardinals, Cubs fans. And then maybe the other 1,000 is that Texas. So if you're looking at bringing 4,000 into each eight playoff series, you're looking at, what, 32,000 extra people coming into one area? That would be a little bit concerning. You're going to have to sell the tickets in advance. I mean, that's that's going to be how the, the well, way that's that they what have I said, to That's do where it. the challenge lies, yeah. right? The, the Chiefs, you were only allowed to buy tickets, from what I understand, if you were in a group of four or more. And so that's where some of this comes in as well, is you've got to be in a group of people to be able to situate yourself wherever you want to sit in the stands. There are some logistical nightmares that come along with being able to put this on, but that's what you take on if you're a league right now, if you're a team right now, and you want to be able to get these fans in the stands and you want to make that money that you are not bringing in right now. So I do think what we saw last night is a big step in the – in my opinion, right direction for sports. Um, if you're one of these teams that is losing out on all this revenue, now we just got to find out over the next couple of weeks what comes of it because it's not a success yet. We still have to find out what came from last night. If there is no real trend in a positive direction in terms of testing from what we saw, then this can continue and we can see this elsewhere. If there is a spike, though, in Kansas City and they trace it back to that particular event, that's when it could go in the other direction. And now, instead of seeing more fans in the stands in Kansas City, they're not even going to be able to have fans in the stands. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Bet It or Forget It's next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's Ribs and BK's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. 65780 is their comfort service text line for Bet It or Forget It. Jamie, let's start with this one. This comes in from the 636. Bet It or Forget It. Manly Man BK. I like the way this is Whoa. starting out. Celebrated Fiction. his Chiefs winning the opener last night with dimmed lights, candles, and a few wine coolers. Better to forget. It. <laughs> I'm betting it for sure, especially at the end with the with the <laughs> what is the wine coolers? A few wine coolers, oh, lit my. candles, and dimmed lights. Absolutely, absolutely. Probably had a face mask on too as you were, you know, moisturizing your skin. I'm disappointed that they didn't see that I also had a nice warm bath and some cucumbers <laughs> over my eyes. Had they a phone missed call. the most important part. Had a phone call with an old friend, cried a little, ate some ice cream. Watched Chocolat. <laughs> Just delightful. I mean, what more could you ask for on a Thursday night? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Better to forget it, boys. Petro is going to surprise the hockey world and sign elsewhere once free agency opens up officially. Well, I'll bet it because if he gets to free agency, it's over. I mean, that's I mean, I'm playing within the question I'm playing on that. But yeah, if he gets to the open market, it's over. It's plain and simple. So I will bet that for sure. Yeah, same. I'm betting it. Once he hits that open market, it's going to be almost impossible for the Blues 
to get him back. And now that we have a date for NHL free agency, we basically know when our window is going to close as Blues fans. And what date is that, Tanner? Oh, really? Uh, now I'm not ready for it. Right. October, October 9th. October 9th, 9th right? Yeah. What? You were re- yes. He was very proud of that this morning. He came in and he's like, hey, yeah. Well, see, I, bro- I broke date? it to BK and I was like, you know what? Jamie may not know. And then uh, Jamie, what do you know? He knew it. I knew it, but I thought you knew it. So that's why I asked you. I We've, wasn't actually trying to sewer you there. We officially have less not than a month. Uh, less than a month. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, BK's talking. Power through here. <laughs> less than a month for the Blues to be able to re-sign Alex Petrangelo in my mind. They've, they've got to get this thing done before that official date, in my opinion. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, better to forget it. Austin Gomber is going to be traded in the offseason. I don't understand what's going on right now because... Every time he goes out there and throws, and every time in my mind that he goes out there and starts, I feel like I like what I see. Yesterday, three innings, six Ks, didn't give up an earned run. Better to forget it, Austin Gomber's going to be traded in the offseason, Jamie. I'm going to bet it, uh, and it's based 100% off of what you're saying. He's just that guy, and that happens to certain players and organizations. It's nobody's fault, but... Those guys exist everywhere, and it's just a guy that the team doesn't have 100% confidence in. They think he's a good player. He fills a spot in the roster, but not a go-to type guy. And for that reason, if they don't get the warm and fuzzies every time he's up to pitch, if it's just kind of a spot filler, for that reason alone, uh, they'll use him as an asset and try to move him, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to bet this, too. I believe that he will be moving in the offseason, and I think they're going to regret it. His numbers right now, .53 ERA in 10 games, two starts. Why is that not in the rotation? Instead, they're hoping these high hopes of Carlos Martinez coming back and being perfect. I'm telling you, I'm skeptical of Seamart, so I would rather see Gomber there. They're going to stick with Seamart. They're going to deal him in the offseason. You know I love my fancy stats, right? My nerdy numbers. Mm-hmm. What's All his expected them? pitch count? His expected batting average is quite good. Against. <laughs> Um, he's at the 97. Do you expect it to rain later today? Uh, no, I don't. But right, that doesn't seem go. to matter here in St. Louis. I'll bet that one. Um, his hard hit rate, so hard hit rate allowed opposing batters against him, is in the 97th percentile in all of baseball. There are only 3% of pitchers in baseball that are better at allowing less hard hit contact than Austin Gomber. I don't understand why this guy isn't a part of what they want to do in their rotation. Every time he goes out there, it's something good. So I I fully anticipate that he is not going to be a significant part of the future for the St. Louis Cardinals. Even though I'm with Tanner, I agree. I think it's a bit of a mistake for them to go that route. Better to forget it, Jamie. I thought this was maybe the best thing to come oh, of boy. last night's game. Better to forget it. Andy Reid's not going to forget his windshield wipers for his face shield next week. <laughs> the hell is going on with that? <laughs> I couldn't even function. They go out for the pregame thing, and, you know, they're arm-in-arm. They work together in this, and you got right beside Patrick Mahomes is Foggy Bear. He's, it's like I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Did you hear his comments after the game? <laughs> Daniel, do we have these comments? Andy Reid, after the game, was asked about it. He had to be. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, it, that was brutal. Yeah, I didn't do very good with that thing. But it, listen, it... It will be better the next time. So uh, I appreciate you asking that, though. It was a bit of a mess, but we'll get it fixed. <laughs> He's literally the guy in the winter where his windshield's frozen over and the, the button doesn't work to shift it. 
You know how sometimes you get in your car and you're like, I don't have time for the defrost. And so you've got like one little specific circle that you're like, like leaning over and you're like, if I just lean and kind of wink one eye and have the other eye open, you I think I can to make a turn. it. You've got to put the windows down to look out the passenger window because you can't see out the windshield. You're trying to use your rear view mirror and you're just like the, the entire rear window is just, it's just snow. You forgot to, you forgot to wipe it off. So you're like, ah, crap. What do I do now? That was Andy the entire game. What's amazing to me is how did he not just ditch that like in the first play calling series? You can't tell me that the Chiefs didn't have a mask somewhere around a face covering for Andy Reid. Like I watched the sidelines. Everybody else had them on. And then there's Andy Reid with his his windshield attached to his hat. You know, like. The oh. guy in college football that carries the guy, the coach's like uh, long cord. Yeah, he yeah. just a guy that shows up with like the car wipe and just, and then he just goes to the sideline until they're ready for it again. The funny thing is, there's like, there's spray you can use yes, to defog is. stuff. Like you, you can find it. It exists. And Handy apparently just didn't think it was going to be an issue. I guess it was raining outside and it was like 50 degrees. It was cold in Kansas City last night. <laughs> relatively speaking. It was probably speaking. icing over a little bit too. I think he's got to get away from the windshield. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Man, I'm getting so much crap right now. From the 636, now I'm just imagining BK in a bubble bath playing with his KC Wolf rubber ducky. <laughs> That's the first one. The second one, also coming from the 636, but a different person BK, not only can you not change a tire, but you also can't scrape off the windshield either. <laughs> it is hard. It's really cold, right? I know. Poor guy. I mean, sometimes your hands get so cold and you're like, do I really have time for this? Sometimes I just have time to scrape behind. one little spot. <laughs> Andy Reid probably can't do it either. Andy Reid, honestly, that's a guy that knew it was a bad idea early, and he just said, screw it. I know the the, the nation is watching me right now, and I'm going to battle through this. So Keith was watching the game downstairs last night. Kara's dad, uh, who we live with, we live in their basement. Uh, Keith, Keith so was, he went down and took your TV? No, my TV is upstairs. Well, oh. Not my TV, but the TV that I watch okay. is upstairs. Um, so he was downstairs. I was upstairs. He comes up about midway through the game. He's like, did Andy Reid have... <laughs> Have his uh, his face shield like fogged up on purpose so that way people couldn't see his mouth. Tinted <laughs> look. <laughs> yeah. He was like, he must, because you know how whenever uh, football we were first talking about it, they had like the face shields that they were talking about for the players, and it was like basically pre-fogged for them. He's like, I think that Andy Reid did that. I was like, I don't think so, man. No, I think that was just that was not planned. That was not the way that was supposed to go. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers is next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now, 65780. It's Ribs and BK's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Here's one from the three one four, Jamie. Do you think that the Indians would accept Nolan Gorman, Austin Gomber, and Tyler O'Neill for Francisco Lindor? Gorman, Gomber, and O'Neill for Francisco Lindor. And if you're the Cardinals, would you do that deal? Okay, 
I'll answer the second part of that first. Okay. Yes, I make that deal. Every day of the week, I make that deal. The Indians now, however, I with Gomber and O'Neal, I, I believe I know what they're getting. I don't know enough about Gorman yet. I don't. So you'll have to maybe help me on that one a little. He's a prospect, uh, obviously, but mm-hmm. is he, you know, is he a blue chip prospect? Is he that kind of player to be or... Because I think that's what makes the, the deal sweet, is what they get in a potential future player. So he's the number two prospect in the Cardinals um, system. I'll have to look up where he's ranked right now on MLB.com. I, I know he's in the top 100. I think um, he's in the 70s, right? Nolan Gorman right now, 47 overall okay. in the top 100 so that's, prospects That's quite list. the piece. If I'm the Indians, yeah, I'm making that deal for sure. And if I'm the Cardinals, I'm making that deal. We know what we have in Tyler O'Neill. We have Austin Gomber, who we already know what we're going to do. As an organization, we've kind of decided that he's not going to be our guy. So you move on from him. And the big piece of the puzzle is the last one, the prospect player. You know what? I'd make that deal. 65780 is their comfort service text line. This is probably what I would say to that as well. This comes from the 314. I only make that deal if it comes with an extension. It's too much for one year of Francisco Lindor. I'm assuming that too. I should have said that. You would have to get an extension done with Lindor to be able to make that work. And I will say this. I love Francisco Lindor. I think he's a tremendous player. He's unbelievable defensively. He is the type of player that I believe that the Cardinals need. He's not necessarily the big bat that Cardinals fans have been talking so much about. He's a good player. He's a really good hitter. He's going to hit for average. He's going to get on base pretty well. But he's more Dexter Fowler-ish at the plate than he is Paul Goldschmidt at the plate. His career OPS is 835, which is good. It's really good, especially for a shortstop. But that's more little around Paul DeYoung-ish. So I think it makes you better. It definitely helps. And I think if you've got him, Goldschmidt, and DeYoung, you feel pretty good about it. But it's not like you're adding prime Pujols, prime Paul Goldschmidt to the middle of the order. I just want to throw that out there because I do think sometimes we talk about these guys on other teams and we just assume, oh, that guy's going to come in and be unbelievable. He's not as good of a hitter as Nolan Arenado, but an all-around player at the age of 27 next year, yeah, he certainly brings that to the table. I don't think the Indians would make that deal. They're looking for major league help in the outfield, I know. O'Neal's not that solution. They may take O'Neal, but they're going to want a major league ready outfielder. And the only one that we have in our system would be Carlson. But he's down in the minors because he's not ready. But the Cardinals aren't going to deal Carlson. So I don't think there's any chance they take that deal. That's why I find it hard to believe that the Cardinals would be able to make a move to get Lindor. Yeah, 65780 is their comfort service tax line. Somebody just said, did you just compare Francisco Lindor to Dexter Fowler? I'm trying to talk about what kind of a player they're at the plate. And, yeah, if you look at what they've done at the plate over the last few years, Dexter Fowler over the last five years has a 780 OPS. Francisco Lindor has been better, but not significantly better. He's at 835 OPS. So that's more what you're looking for as a looking at there as opposed to um, one of the like all time great hitters in your lineup. Six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, Jamie, what was the signing of Jacob De La Rose yesterday? Do you think that was just a depth move? Yeah, clearly a depth move. Um, Look, if you're going to move on potentially from another player that you have in your lineup, if you're continuing down the path to free up money for Alex Petrangelo, 
Right now, the Tyler Bozak question is right there on the front of everybody's mind. If that's the case, then you'd probably like another centerman who can kill penalties and come at you with a real cheap price tag. That's Jacob De La Rose. He signed a $700,000 deal. It's actually a pay decrease from what he was making. So, And he, he is responsible out there defensively, and he's very good on the penalty kill. Uh, he's pretty good in the face-off circle. He could be your fourth-line centerman. Uh, I think Oscar Sundquist would jump up to be the third-line centerman. Heck, even Barbashev would have a chance at that. But uh, his signing to me it was a no-brainer at that price tag. It gives you great insurance. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll talk a little bit more about that and what it means for Alex Petrangelo coming up at 1230. Guys, what do you think Matt Carpenter is going to need to do in order to stay in this lineup for the Cardinals moving forward? Keep getting hit by pitches. No, that's not it. Okay, no, seriously, though, on a serious note, one, I, I hope he doesn't get hit by a pitch because I'm sure that really hurts. But uh, he's got to just keep getting on base. However you do it, whether it is being hit by a pitch, whether it's a walk, whether it's a bloop single into the outfield, if it's a, a ball that hits the pitcher and, and you know he ends up in first base, whatever it is, if Matt Carpenter can consistently get on base, that keeps him in the lineup because, to your point earlier, to our point for the long longest time now is we don't have the consistency out of the outfield, and some of those guys' numbers are below what Matt Carpenter is bringing to the table at the plate. You kind of have to keep him going. So if he's getting on base, how can you take him out is, is the way I look at it. Matt Carpenter quietly in his last 20 at-bats, batting 250. That's not what you're hoping for, but it's fine. You can live with that. A 425 on base percentage and an 873 OPS. <laughs> okay, you can live with that. That's what he's done in the month of September. If that's the player that he is right now, and it might be, we'll see. He certainly isn't hitting the ball hard, but just get on base. That's all I'm really asking for right now. So to kind of answer the question directly, what does he need to do to be in the lineup every day? That. He needs to be the player that he's been in the month of September, and he also needs the outfielders to continue to struggle if the outfielders continue to struggle the way that they have well then now it's going to be really difficult to take him out of the lineup every day in favor of one of these guys that's also hitting like 185 right now 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers jamie one question from me to you earlier this morning you texted me and said hey guys uh if we've got a little bit of time today i have a story about 9 11 that I would like to share on the air today. So, Jamie, I we have a little bit of time right now. I would love to give the floor to you. Yeah, first of all, to think back, you know, you you look back. I look back today, and we were joked about it. You were seven years old mm-hmm. when it happened, and I was um, in Ottawa playing for the Ottawa Senators, and training camp was beginning that day. And I remember my wife, Shannon, had gone out to go for a run or whatever, had the dog, and when she came back, I was sitting there holding our oldest daughter, Carson, in my arms and watching the TV, and I had no words for what was going on. She was kind of looking at me like, what the heck is going on here? And we both watched, and in real time, the second plane hit the World Trade Center, Mm. the second tower. It hit it, the second plane, boom. And we thought at first, your brain plays tricks on you, and it's like, whoa, is that a replay of what just happened? And then you realize quickly, no, that's another plane that just hit World Trade Center, And we were blown away, and it was really weird because then your automatic thing is you start calling people, family members, the phone's ringing, you get all this stuff going on. I'm supposed to be uh, for fitness testing in like an hour over at the rink, 
well, we got to the rink, and then obviously the NHL put a bunch of things on hold. We still did the testing that day, and it was a weird feeling. We go back to this bubble thing we've talked about. When I got to the rink, it's like you feel like you're in a safe place. All the guys that are around there, like they're, they're your family at that point. And so for me, it was it was a relief to get to that, that training camp and, and to get in there and to kind of proceed as normal, but it was a very, very heavy day very heavy emotionally and you're finding out more and more things throughout the day and certainly the NHL lost a few of their people um, in in that one of those planes that, that crashed into the World Trade Center uh, it was a it was a heavy moment and I just remember from that point on the rest of the year everybody building and building and building and getting that confidence back into you know getting the, the country back to where it should be certainly New York City as players we got a chance to go and visit the site afterwards with some of the Rangers guys. It was very heavy, and I'll just never forget it. It's just standing there in Canada, of all places at that mm-hmm. time, and experiencing it, watching it live, and having my baby in my arms. It was just a real um, eye-opening moment, and then so proud of the nation after that, of the way they responded. And it really did show just how great the American population really is and how much they can support each other. Yeah, I uh, like you said, I was eight years old at the time, born in 92, so in one. I was in third grade at that point, and our teachers were told, hey, do, whatever you do, don't don't tell the kids about this. We're going to allow the, the parents to be able to explain kind of what's going on, right? So I remember throughout the day, you'd see some of the teachers, like, breaking down occasionally, and, like, they would be crying over whenever they were kind of by their desks and felt like they had a private moment, potentially, and... I was in an after-school program at that point. My mom worked late, so I had to stay stay after, and then they, she would pick me up afterwards. And I asked one of the people that was there, right, helping out, and I was like, "What is what's going on? Why why are people so sad? Like, what what is happening right now?" And I just remember somebody finally explaining, like, "Hey, listen, we really cannot tell you this right now, but something bad happened today. Talk to your parents about it whenever you get home." And so. I asked my mom what what took place, and she explained it to me, and then I started watching the news and seeing it. I had, when you're eight years old and you see something like that, you I had no real understanding mm-hmm. as to the gravity of what had just taken place, but then you get more and more into it, and you're like, wow, this is obviously an, a massive deal and such a huge story, and it... Um, just a unbelievably sad day as a whole, but that that's my big lasting memory of it was just like walking around school all day with this feeling of uncertainty and then you finally get home you're able to find out what happened and you still just even at that age i I never really had a true grasp for the the gravity of the moment how big that was for everybody in in general and the fact that everybody has a story of yeah. what they were doing that day there's there are certain things where you're never going to forget what that day was like for you and that was certainly one of those days here with jamie rivers and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie There's no easy transition here, but how big of an issue is Jeff Albert for the Cardinals? We'll talk about that coming up next. This is the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie, how do you spell Ante Tacumpo? (laughs) That guy? No. I don't spell it, actually. How do you spell Giannis Antetokounmpo? <laughs> now, well, now, secondary question, follow-up. How do you spell Brandon? We well, see, I like to spell it B-R-A-D-O-N. Okay. Yeah. So, Braden. Braden. 
Okay. It's actually, it's better. It flows better that way. I'm actually going to, I was going to talk to you off the air about changing the spelling of your name. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly what happened during our break because I think during our FanDuel read, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure you said that's promo code Brandon, B-R-A-D-O-N. And I think not only did you do it once, <laughs> then you doubled down on it. You came back with the second time around and you said, you know what? That's promo code Brandon, B-R-A-D-O-N. D-O-N. You even gave the little, <laughs> there was a little bit of a, a stop there in between, a little bit of a gap. Where Dramatic you're like, pause. Am I saying this correctly? Yes, this is how I spell Brandon. <laughs> well, if you were playing the odds on that one of me spelling it right or wrong, that's one thing. But if you're playing the odds, you want good odds. Yeah, you go to FanDuel Fantasy Sportsbook app and you do enter Brandon and we'll try this again. B-R-A-N. D-O-N. I think you're not going to forget that again moving forward. Speaking of forgetting, it might be very uh, forgettable, the performance by the Cardinals offense this season, but that doesn't mean that Jeff Albert is totally off the hook. So the hitting coach, Jeff Albert, I found this to be an interesting answer from Mark Saxon in his questions and answers that he did for The Athletic yesterday. He said, quote, based on my experience in the game and based on the performance of this Cardinals offense, I would be stunned if Jeff Albert is the hitting coach in 2021, unless there is a reasonably drastic uptick in the coming weeks. It's not his fault that the team isn't hitting, of course. The impact of a hitting coach is wildly overrated by most fans. Most of these ball players know who they are as hitters by the time that they get to this level, but finishing near the bottom of the league in so many statistical categories for the second straight year usually means a hard look at the, that phase of the team, and I think he would probably be sacrificed to satisfy fans' anger. Again, that comes from Mark Saxon of The Athletic, one of our Cardinals insiders. I'm not saying that hitting coaches are meaningless. They're not. They serve a purpose, and the good ones can legitimately move the move the needle. The good ones can really make a legitimate difference in what your lineup is able to do. That being said, if this if it is true that Jeff Albert is bad at his job, and I don't know if he is or isn't, but if we go down that path and say that hypothetical is true, well, then what does that mean for the evaluations of guys like Tyler O'Neill, like Harrison Bader, and like Lane Thomas? If they have a bad hitting coach right now, which some Cardinals fans seem to believe, and if he is going to end up being the sacrificial land for the team at the end of the season, I do wonder if or how much we should count that into our evaluations of some of these young hitters that have struggled the way that they have this year. First of all, it doesn't really matter what we think, right? Like, let's remember that. The fans can be as angry as they want and think that certain guys or coaches shouldn't be here. doesn't matter. It's what Mike Schilt and the rest of the staff feel about Jeff Alberts and John Mosellock and the front office, what they feel he's doing. And to my knowledge, what's happened here in – you correct me if I'm wrong here because mm-hmm. I'm really not 100% sure, but Jeff Albert is a more of an analytical-driven kind of guy, right? So uh, I do believe, and, and in every sport now, the analytics are getting so deep. And it's like crazyville in some, some of these things. I do believe that you have to have a good balance. And I think that maybe some of the stuff that he brings up and some of the way, the way he approaches things probably 100% makes sense by the numbers. The numbers tell me this, but players don't always adjust according to the numbers. Sometimes you need a little bit of more old school guy or a former player that had to make adjustments in his career to spot certain things that players are doing, tendencies. I see it all the time. I do a lot of skill work with pro hockey players, NHL players, 
and the numbers, I'll break down the numbers and I'll see where they're deficient, but then I'll notice something that they're doing physically that makes them deficient. And so it's, it's one goes with you, the other. You learn what's going wrong by the numbers. You teach by what's going wrong on the ice. You teach Correct. the actual physical aspect of it. Okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's why your your hips are opening up. So that in your head as the as the coach you're saying okay why why is this guy not getting the same launch angle that he did a year ago and then you so you find that with the numbers and then you watch him play and you say okay he's opening up his hips too early and that's what you correct you don't tell them hey your launch angle is off 0.7 degrees from a year ago and that's why you're not getting the same lift on the ball no you look at what's gone wrong for them and you teach to that that's where i think sometimes Things get lost in translation. And 65780 is the air comfort service sex line from the 636. Yeah, BK, great point. Let's fire Alberts. That way we can see what we have in the outfield again next year. That's not what I'm (laughs) suggesting. I'm asking the question of if we think that the Cardinals have a deficiency right now at their hitting coach, if we think that he is a problem, then could that be part of the issue with the outfield? Could the Cardinals view it that way as, hey, the problem wasn't the players, it was the coach? I think the answer for me is no. I think the answer for me is if these guys were going to be capable of being really good players, we would we would at least see them be average right now. And they haven't been that. They've been bad so far this year in the outfield. If you're looking at as a whole, Thomas, Bader, and O'Neill, those guys have, if you're going by the grading scale of A through F, they've been like D's this year at the plate. I at least need to see a C in order for me to feel comfortable bringing them back next season, even if I do believe that the hitting coach is a problem. That being said, I do wonder what the Cardinals are going to think of that. If they view the hitting coach after this year as being part of the issue, I wonder if maybe that is something that they lean on for one of the guys. Maybe they say, hey, we think Harrison Bader is better than the numbers show because we think that part of the issue for him at the plate, he hasn't made the correct adjustments, and we blame that on the hitting coach. Or maybe they say, hey, we saw early in the season – Uh, Tyler O'Neill made some adjustments and then he got out of whack a little bit and he was never able to correct. And we think that's on the hitting coach, not on Tyler O'Neill. I could see that being something that they go with, even if I personally disagree with it. Yeah. And look, we have a couple of good texts here from our air comfort service text line, six, five, seven, eight, Oh, from the three, one, four. It's BS to say the professional batters, no, they should know themselves. They should be able to correct themselves. This is what, why the heck are we blaming a hitting coach? Well, actually, that's not true. Any professional athlete, they can get into their own head, and without even realizing it, you start going down a path of changing your tendencies, uh, changing your habits, changing your stance, doing whatever it is. And if you don't have somebody there to reel you in, you don't know sometimes. And sometimes you get in so deep into a bad habit that you forget where you started, and that's why it's important to have the analytics to show what areas are deficient. And then that's why you do have the eye test guy, the coach that comes in and shows you this. These are the things we can work on to increase that batting average or get out of this slump. And you had another text talking about how, well, what you're saying is we shouldn't have gotten rid of Buddha. I'm not saying that, but I do think that there's a spot in the game of baseball in particular to where you could have the analytical type hitting coach working with a more hands-on batting coach that would be implementing, you know, things to change at the plate while recognizing the other things that the the analytical coach is saying, this is why we're not doing well. I think they could work hand in hand. Maybe that wasn't ideal though for the Cardinals. Maybe they didn't get along. Maybe yeah. they weren't agreeing. 
And that's the only time that that can be problematic. You know, I'm a numbers guy in, in general, right? I, I, I love looking at the numbers and seeing all, all of the stories that they can tell through the numbers. You need both. Like anybody that tells you it can only be scouting or only be the numbers, they're they're lying. They're, they're in my opinion, they're just wrong. Like you you can't have one without the other. You've got to be able to meld it as much information as you can get, whether that be scouting, and there are unbelievable scouts out there, or the the coaching side of things where it's it's all through the physical adjustments, and then bringing in the numbers along with it. Use all of the information at your disposal to be able to make the best potential decisions on the field, whether that be coaching decisions decision-making processes, whatever it is, I'm in favor of all of it being you drawing on all of those experiences, drawing on all of that information to be able to then make those decisions. And I think with a guy like Jeff Albert, from all of the stories that we've read, the things that we have heard, he might be leaning a little bit too much into the numbers. And I do wonder for some of these players that are coming up if they're just thinking too much at times and if that's getting into the back of their mind. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Sean Salisbury is a host of the Sean Salisbury Show down in Houston, Texas. What did he make of that game last night? And are we going to see a problem down in Houston with Deshaun Watson playing under Bill O'Brien? We'll talk about that with Sean Salisbury coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We finally got some real NFL football in our lives last night. Going to talk things over with Sean Salisbury. He's the host of the Sean Salisbury Show on Sports Talk 790 down in Houston. Sean, we always appreciate the time, man. What's the reaction been in Houston today to what we saw last night in Kansas City? Um, the fans-wise, guys, I think their philosophy is it's fairly typical of when you play the Kansas City Chiefs, you get a lead if you're Houston, and you uh, give it up and give up unanswered points, like 40-plus or something last year in the playoffs, and then 31 unanswered points. You know, it looked to me like the Kansas City Chiefs were on just kind of on cruise control. They They hung 38 on a team that's pretty good with a really good quarterback, and it didn't seem to me like they put their foot on the throat. It was just like, this is what we do. I uh, I think the reaction here from my show this morning is is they feel like this is Groundhog Day. The fans do that this is a good team, but obviously not a great team that Watson's going to have to carry in, that the defense can't put pressure on the quarterback and that they're going to give up a lot of yards and they got to deal with Baltimore, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh the next three weeks, three quarterbacks more that are capable of putting big yards on you. So good football team. They've got their weaknesses, and, and Watness is, Watson is a major strength, but – I think their defense is going to cause them trouble. They'll be in a playoff hunt, but they're not good enough to win a division or play in February, and I think that's the way this this city feels. All right, Sean. Deshaun Watson is where I wanted to go with this. Is Everybody that talks about Deshaun Watson talks about how just what a tremendous talent he is, and, and I agree 100%. I guess my concern, though, is systematically, is Bill O'Brien the right guy for Deshaun Watson and also – the supporting cast with Deshaun Watson, I mean, heck, they got rid of his, his his most dangerous wide receiver. I feel like it's it is Deshaun Watson that is having to carry this entire team and how long can they possibly do that? Well, it's a burden to bear, and that's why guys like Watson, I'm a huge fan. I think he's got championship DNA, but unlike maybe basketball where one superstar 
can can completely control a game. In football, if their offense is really good but the defense can't get off the field, we're at a time when you're running into quarterbacks across the league at the top of the league that are the best. So you can throw 30 on them, and the other guy can throw 41 on you. So uh, it is a burden. And Watson, I, I think, likes the pressure. But it comes to a point that if you can't make every play, and, and if that's what you have to do to win most weeks, it's it's going to be a tough one to because we got some top heavy teams. It's going to be a tough, that's a tough burden to carry and a tough burden to bear. But um, I, he gives you a chance every time you play, every time you play. And I was thinking about this this morning, and I was I was on Dan Patrick's show this morning as well, and he had asked me this question about you know number one receivers. I thought the trade sucked. I, I wouldn't have. I would have at least. I would have either made Hopkins sit out the kind. I would have forced him to either sit out or come play because he's such a good player. You just can't give him away. And a lot of people in this town feel like that he did, that Bill O'Brien as the GM gave him away because Bill didn't like him much as a coach because he didn't like the way he practiced. But it's a great player, right? But then I was thinking about, okay, get rid of, you know, he walks and he's with Kyler Murray, so he gets another good quarterback. But when's the last time, and I was thinking about this, when's the last time, a superstar wide receiver won a Super Bowl. And I went through the list, and I thought, well, uh, Julio Jones hasn't. I don't think Michael Thomas was there yet when the Saints won their Super Bowl, and I'm going down the list. I guess you could say Tyreek Hill's pretty good, but yeah. were, you the, were you the best? I'm talking about were you the best receiver in the league? You go back to the 49ers with Jerry Rice. So you start to do it, and you say, well, is it better to have Stills, Fuller, Cooks, Cobb, if they're all playing right like they are when they're at their best, or one guy, and it becomes a crutch. So I think Hopkins is special, but I don't think Arizona is getting four games better with Hopkins. And and like a running back, while the receiver's great, they're going to touch the ball. What Fuller had a big game last night, touched it eight times. They lost thirty-eight to twenty. The Kansas City Chiefs had three or four guys catch touchdown passes, get involved. You have to defend the whole field. They hung thirty-eight and they didn't blink. So. I'm with you 100%. They can't win a Super Bowl under the current because it doesn't matter what Watson does. Defensively, they're not going to get off the field very much. They don't hit the quarterback. And on the back end, they're average. A guy like me, average player, if you give me three or four seconds to throw, I'll beat you. Now, when you get Mahomes or guys like that and Ben Roethlisberger in a couple weeks, Lamar Jackson next week, you're in trouble. And so Watson has to play that way. So, And if it's Bill O'Brien, if it's the right fit. Now, Bill turned over the play-calling duties to Tim Kelly. And then, you know, people complain about Bill all the time. Well, Tim Kelly in his first one, he's got to get into a rhythm. So we get, it's, it's, it's way too early to panic if you're the Texans. But even if they'd have won last night, I wouldn't have crowned them, oh, my gosh, they're, they're the best team in the AFC. So I try to temper it and let, let, let's see what trends are for them. But the trend since Bill O'Brien's been here with Deshaun is, Deshaun, they, they, they'll play at spurts really good during a game. They'll get to the January, and they'll play really good during a game, but they can't close and can't – it's kind of been typical of some of the Houston sports franchises here, Rockets included. So, um, it, you listen, there's some things they got to do. I put it this way: if Hopkins was here and the rest of the guys weren't, no Cobb, no, the, I still don't think they're going to the Super Bowl. They're a playoff team, maybe battling the Colts and Titans for the division championship, and not good enough to sustain it. Because if you don't, if, if your defense doesn't have at least can get off the field with all these good quarterbacks. You don't have a chance. So Watson has to play damn near perfect each week, and you see he didn't play perfect last night, and then you're playing against a guy who's better than you and the best player in the league who plays at about 70% of what he normally does, and they still score 38 points. So 
I'll take more weapons than one big weapon. But if you got both, then you become Joe Montana's 49ers or Tom Brady with Moss and, 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 and Gronkowski. So it's tough to defend, but those guys got to raise their game, and Watson's got to get them all involved. That's another price he's got to pay for being a superstar on a team. To the, the, you can't lean on one crutch anymore, and it was a bad trade, but they got to live with it now. We're talking to Sean Salisbury. He's the host of the Sean Salisbury Show on Sports Talk 790 down in Houston. Also has another gig that we'll talk about with him here in just a moment. Uh, pretty cool opportunity for Sean. Sean, I did want to ask you, though, about the other side of the game last night. Uh, the Chiefs looked really good, and they add in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to an offense that was already dynamic a year ago, and they rode that all the way to the Super Bowl. I mean, I... I'm going to leave this a little open-ended for you, but just how good can this Chiefs offense be if what we saw last night from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is real? I think they're better offensively. Now, defensively, they stepped up and got after the quarterback. They don't have to be a great defense. They just got to be solid, and they were. I I think their offense, they're better. I mean, you know, you saw Williams in the Super Bowl play well, and they've had some good backs, but now they've got a a rookie of the year back who's who's got a chance to do – he can catch it out of the backfield. He's got wiggle in the secondary. He, he, he doesn't go down after the first hit. And Mahomes had to do what? Throw? They, they ran. When's the last? How often do we find the Chiefs th- running the ball more than they throw it? It's never, they've and, never given a running back yeah, 25 carries with yeah, uh, yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Right. We don't do that. So here in Kansas City, they don't. So you add a guy who's going to probably rush for it between the 11 and 1400 yards this year, catch balls out of the backfield. They're a great screen team. Then you got the vertical threat and, the, and then they could play horizontal football when necessary. Hell, they didn't even get, you know, Hardman involved and didn't really, really go big with the offense. And Sammy Watkins was your number one guy last night. That's my problem. How do you defend them? How do you defend them? And then when you all of a sudden say, okay, let's put eight in the box. A layer's that good. Because normally when you play the Chiefs, it's stop Mahomes. Now it's like, whoa, we've we got to deal with this cat now? Well, then if you do that and he's got soft corners and there's eight in the box or seven in the box if you're spread out or six, numbers, he's just looking at numbers saying, oh, five in the box, we'll run it. Six in the box and spread or seven, we're going to throw it. I'll get the ball out on time. And you can't cover my speed or, my, or, or Kelsey with the smaller guy one-on-one. So you're, it's a slow death or a fast death, how you want to die. They're better. I, I think they're a better team. And, when Pat has to carry you, he can. When somebody And there's a different star each week catching the football. Let me tell you, and I, I said this on Dan's show this morning, I said it on mine, I actually think with as good as New Orleans roster is, and I think Tampa Bay can be in the Super Bowl, we know about the 49ers and Seahawks and Ravens, I think that when they're eight, if they play 85% of their best football, I think they're better than any team in the league playing 100%. And if they play 100%, and anybody else plays 100% in the league, you're not beating them. And if you play less than 100%, they got to urinate down their leg, and, and they don't do that very much. So I think they're better. I do. And one extra weapon now, if you're trying to game plan against them, how do you do it? And I, I've been in around the game for four, forever, guys, and defensive coordinators, the number one thing is we've got to stop the run, got to stop the run. Well, with Kansas City, like I said earlier, you normally don't have to do that. Now you legitimately, you're going in, and the best player in the world wears number 15. And you're going in, and the first thing you're saying after once we got to stop a rookie running back. Well, Andy Reid's just going to smirk all his way. They, like I said, didn't it look last night that they didn't break a sweat? Yeah. They just got ah, 38 here. Oh, we got to ramp it up after you score on your drive. Okay, cool. We'll jump out in front 31 to seven, make you chase a little bit, let you get a little close, and then we'll score one more time just to let you know 
don't get too comfortable with is I, they're, they're, it's phenomenal. They're, they're, they're the best team in football. At 85 to 90%, they're better than anybody else at 100%, and I fully believe that. All right, Sean, I want to shift gears with you a little bit because we always have to get to a little hockey talk with you, right? And yep. your, your Vegas Golden Knights, team that you love to cheer for, uh, they're down 2-1 in the Western Conference Final. Uh, what do you make of what's going on right now? I'm having a blast. I'm enjoying watching it. And what are, what are we in now? Our third year with the Las Vegas Knights, and you know better than I do. I am so fascinated in how they can, you know, this is our second Stanley Cup in three years. And I think we've got the Dallas Stars having them close to me. That's as close as I get to hockey because being in Houston, I don't, you know, we don't get to go and can't be fans. Dallas is as close as I get. I still think it's going to come down to the end. If you, they're playing in close games, they, if they can get great goaltending, get them standing on the head and standing on their head and get a couple great, great offensive performances, which they're capable of. And then you got to get through the East. Tampa Bay is really good. And we know that the, the Islanders coming off their big series uh, previous to against the Flyers. So I, I'm going to continue to stake my claim with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They didn't get through it with Washington, another opportunity. But as in most sports, guys, no matter how good your offense is, you got to score. But if you get continued great goaltending, eventually you'll score more than the other, and it's going to come. It's like defense, defense and hit. And if you play defense and hit, the Las Vegas Golden Knights will get back into this. This series is going seven games. Sean, final question for you. I know you recently added a little bit more to your plate because you just weren't busy enough with doing a daily radio show. You're going to have a a football hour, the Sean Salisbury football hour out in the Bay Area. For our listeners that are interested in giving that a listen, how can they do so and what's that show going to be all about? It's on 95.7, the game in San Francisco, and it was a fro- the opening show was last night um, with the opening of the game. So it's an hour, Monday through Friday, and it is it, it airs there, and they can find it on the 95.7, the game app up in its intercom. It's up in uh, Northern California, obviously, in San Francisco. It's an honor. Um, it gives me a chance to get into another market. I've been a guest, like I have been with you guys, probably in that market for the last decade. And finally, they said, well, why don't you just do a show? And I said, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, and fortunately bosses said go ahead and so i get my morning drive six to ten here and then get to go there and it's on six to seven pacific time so central time it's on eight to nine monday through friday i'll be back at it again tonight talking uh national football league and we'll mix in you know i always slither in a little bit of hockey without getting too technical (laughs) some people up there may not have you know san jose's not in this stanley cup finals and and this final four so i'll mix that in but we get after it football wise pretty intense and it's amazing guys how People still don't give Jimmy Garoppolo credit. I'll leave you with that. And the season he had last year, first first full year starting, he made it to the Super Bowl. The 49ers fans are spoiled with Montana and Young, but this guy's a good football player. So I'm having a good time. Thank you. Well, Sean, we appreciate the time, man. You can listen to him on the Sean Salisbury Show weekday mornings on Sports Talk 790 down in Houston. And certainly check out his new football show as well. Give him a follow on Twitter. You can find all of the info at Sean Unfiltered. Sean, thanks so much for the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Enjoy the first weekend of a full slate of the NFL. You guys are awesome, and thanks for letting me talk a little bit of hockey. I know we didn't get to delve into it a bit, but I'm watching intently, and it's always great being on with you guys. You got it. That's Sean Salisbury joining us here on 101 ESPN. I find that conversation about the receivers really interesting that we were talking about with him with with, uh, the Texans. I got to be honest, I do disagree with it a little bit. Uh, I think that you need to have a, a great passing game right now in the NFL, and that starts with the quarterback, absolutely, but 
it's everything. It's from the top to the bottom. You need a great head coach that can give you an advantage in the scheme. You need a quarterback that can hit the open receivers whenever they get there. You do need the receivers, though. I mean, if you look at what the Chiefs have right now, what makes their offense so dynamic, if you stop Tyreek Hill, well, now you've got to deal with Sammy Watkins. We saw that last night. They were bracketing Tyreek Hill the entire game. Sammy had a good game. If you stop Sammy and Tyreek somehow, well, now McCole Hardman. And oh, by the way, they've got a running back that's a threat from from the backfield now and the best tight end in the game. I think that's what he was talking about, though. I think ultimately that's what he meant was you can't scheme for just one star player but you need that guy. You need somebody to be reliable. And right you now, need the Texans people. don't have that guy. Or you need two or three that are reliable that you can hit, right? I mean, I get the concept of what he was saying. Um, sure. Because there Just is... different philosophical ideas of how you should build a team. Like, I, he's not... There's nobody that is wrong on this, but it's just different ideas of how, how you go about it. Yeah, I agree. I just think I like the idea of having several weapons. Yes, if you have an all-pro that you can go to every now and then, it's nice to have it. But otherwise, you have to have that second-tier player that are very good and reliable, too. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to watch what the Texans are this year. I still think they're a playoff team. I do agree with Sean on that. I think they're going to make the playoffs just because when you've got that guy at the quarterback position, I think it's really hard to hold them down. That being said, their schedule is daunting. They get the Ravens next week. Then they travel to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. Then they're back home to play the Vikings. It's just, it's relentless this first month of the season. It would not be a shock to me if they start the year 0-4, and that's a big hole to be able to dig out of. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, welcome back to the Blues, Jacob Delarose. What's next for the Blues? What's the next big move they're going to make? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Blues announced a one-year deal yesterday with Jacob De La Rose. It's not a huge signing, but it is nice to keep him back. You've got a little bit of depth. It's cheap. He's a guy that knows the system, played well for you in the postseason, can help you on the PK. No issues with the signing whatsoever. The big news now for the Blues is that they have $5.1 million remaining in cap space. That is according to Tom Timmerman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Now, Jamie, I'm no mathematician. But I know $5.1 million is less than $8 million, which is what we've been talking about for so long as the baseline for an Alex Petrangelo deal. So now that they have this deal done with him, they still got to get something done with Vince Dunn, you would imagine. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we would all like to see them get something done with Alex Petrangelo. What do you think is the next move that needs to happen if they are going to be able to open up that cap space? Well, there's only a couple of moves that, that can actually happen. And the... Um the number one thing you got to look at is what what guys make a substantial amount of money that you could part ways with. And you look at the top guys, they're not going anywhere. Braden Shen, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Vladdy, obviously he's injured right now. But you work your way down and you end up basically with two names that you're looking at. Three, if you really want to expand it to Jaden Schwartz. But I don't think you're getting rid of him, especially with Vladdy out. You need that to, uh, offensive capabilities anyway. That it comes down to Tyler Bozak and to Alexander Steen. Up front, that's what it comes down to. If you go into the back end, yeah, you have Justin Falk. I don't think that deal is, is tradable at this point. Not yet. Could be uh, after the next season if he continues to trend upward like he was in the, in the postseason. But again, you circle back to Tyler Bozak, Alexander Steen. What do you have out there on the trade market for those guys? For Alexander Steen, I don't know what you have as far as a market. How big is that market? I think it's very small 
It's very specific. And if someone's going to spend that kind of money on an individual, it's probably not going to be a guy at the tail end of his career who has been playing on a fourth line, even though we know how important Alexander Steen is. And as a former player, I recognize everything that he brings to the table, and it is phenomenal, but he carries a big price tag. And Tyler Bozak, same situation, an aging guy to which, quite honestly, I don't want to say you have replacements. You have other options. You have Oscar Sundquist that could play in that third-line center. You have Ivan Barbashev, third-line center capabilities. And now Jacob De La Rose, who I don't think is a third-line center, but he certainly is a fourth-line center, and he kills penalties. So those three guys that I just talked about, Sundquist, Barbashev, and De La Rose, all are able to kill penalties. Two of them, Barbashev and Sundquist, kill penalties on a regular basis. So now the biggest question is where's the market for Tyler Bozak, yep. who is looking to acquire a veteran guy coming off a of Stanley Cup, had very good run here in St. Louis, and he might finish out here in St. Louis. Either way, you're not losing on that deal. You've already won that deal. Um, so then the question is, do you find a team that will take him, but you have to eat a certain amount of the contract? I don't know. The only way to get to the money that they need, quite honestly, if you're looking at their forwards right now, those are the two guys that you have to move to make room. Otherwise, you're making a big a big splash by moving somebody who you didn't expect. So all roads lead back to those guys and what they are able to do with those contracts if they want to make the Petro situation work. So somebody on the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, the Blues need to swallow their pride, pay off Alex Steen, which is essentially them saying the guys need to buy out Alex Steen. If I'm not mistaken here, Jamie, from what I understand, looking at some of the cap situation, it looks like if they were to buy out Alex Dean, they would only end up saving two and a half million dollars. Yes, they wouldn't save. They wouldn't save the full five point seven that we're talking about. That is his cap hit for the season because it ends up being you've got to actually pay a portion of it. You save against the cap, the part that we care about. Two point three is what I'm seeing here. That's not enough. If you're only saving the $2.3 million, well, if you add that up with the 5.1 that they have currently, let's do a quick math in our head, you're up to $7.4 million in cap space without having Alex Dean on the roster by buying him out. You still don't have enough money to be able to bring back Alex Petrangelo at that number. And that's without doing anything with Vince Dunn. So you've still got two transactions that you need to make. And you don't have enough room for the first one with Alex Petrangelo. So while I understand the idea of going ahead and buying out Alex Steen, and it sounds like it would make a lot of sense if you were able to get the $5 million, if you're not going to get that full $5 million, it, it really doesn't make a ton of sense to do that. You've either got to be able to trade him and get rid of the full salary off the books, or I don't think that Alex Steen is going to be the one that they're going to be able to move. No, and look, Army's got a long history of not ever buying players out. I just don't know if he, you know, if this becomes his first time ever doing it. Um, it's tough. It's tough because, you, in my opinion, it's still multiple moves that have to happen in order to get the cap space for Alex Petrangelo. And, and most after that, the afterthought right now, which is funny, is Vince Dunn. You know, he's going to command somewhere between the two and a half to maybe even three million. If they go to arbitration, it's possible that a guy like that gets in that range. If that's the case, then add that to the salary cap. And now you've got to move somebody. You absolutely have to move somebody that's a five million dollar player. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. It seems like if you think that Steen and Bozak are the only ways that the Blues can re-sign Petro, then you really don't feel like the Blues can re-sign Petro. I think uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough unless they're willing to you know, move somebody else. It's, it's very, I, I brought it up a couple weeks ago, and not that I think they should move this player at all, but I think that there's a market for him. I think that that's what you have to do at some point is you have to think about not that you'd like to move a guy, but who would be movable? What who piece, are other teams interested in? Exactly, that, you have? that are not your untouchables, right? And if you look at that, you look at on the back end, again, Justin Falk would be a guy that you'd like to be able to move if possible, but I, that's just not going to happen right now. The only other guy is Scandella. Mm-hmm. And I know we just resigned him to a four-year deal, I believe. It's what, 3.5 or something 3.5, like but there is a market for Marco Scandella. There is a market out there. Do you, do you want to make that move? Is that the move that you think is worthy of solidifying Alex Petrangelo if you can package that with another small deal? Maybe it is. But after that, look at the lineup. Where do you go to find that money? You really can't go anywhere. I mean, you have David Perron, but he's one of your best players. He's one of your most consistent offensive producers. And, by the way, he's the, sh- he's the bake in Shake and Bake with him and O'Reilly. They play well together. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not disrupting that. Jaden Schwartz, he's your buzzsaw out there. Are you willing to part with that? I don't know. Maybe if you feel like you can't resign him, maybe he does become expendable. Maybe then you're looking to promote from within. But this right now, as we go on here, it's a lot of maybes, 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 a lot of question marks. Ultimately, at the end of the day, to create cap space for Alex Petrangelo, it's two things. One, a player you're willing to part with, and two, a player that other teams want. And I think that the name that we keep coming back to, to me, seems to be Tyler Bozak. He's the guy that, while you would love to have him on the roster next year, you do have other centers that you feel good about. You've got other guys that can fill what his role is on the roster. Maybe not to the 100% degree of what he gives you on a consistent basis, but they can give you 80% of what he's giving you and not at that $5.5 million cap hit. So he is replaceable to an extent while also there are other teams that would likely be interested in him. And so that's why we keep coming back to that name. He's the one that makes the most sense. We'll see if Army's able to find a suitor for him. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time to open up the Junk Drawer with Ribs and BK. Brought to you by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go Blues. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie, I found something that I have absolutely loved with watching the Cardinals games lately. Okay. I find myself myself every single night waiting for the moment when Danny Mac is going to lose it. He's going to be beside himself as he finds where Fred Bird is sitting in the stands. <laughs> it is legitimately the highlight of my night, and it happened again last night. And I got to tell you, when it happens with Ricky Horton next to him, <laughs> those are my favorite moments. Let's take a listen to what that sounded like last night. And yes, that is Fred Bird. And yes, I do believe that is Tiger King. Tiger King. <laughs> Very appropriate. Fred Bird exotic. <laughs> He's a genius, isn't he? (laughs) That may be his best one yet. I think so. (laughs) 
I mean, the fact that those guys just lose it in the middle of a baseball game, I don't know what it is about it. I I find it hilarious. I die laughing every time. Fred Bird, I mean, whether he's out there one night, he was using the iron to iron his clothes. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. He's done. He's he, the first one. I think he was sleeping in the stands last night. You have him as Fred Bird exotic. It's amazing. What he is doing right now is absolutely incredible. It is the highlight of my night every night to see what he's doing out in the outfield and how he's going to have Danny Mac just dying laughing during the middle of a broadcast. It's incredible. It's got to be part of his mission now is to figure out ways to make Danny Mac lose his mind. I love when so Danny Mac is he has a great sense of humor, right? But like what he's calling the game, he's calling the game. He is a professional. (laughs) I love seeing like the the guy that is normally the straight man, right? He he finds a way to crack up during a moment when he's not supposed to. That's Danny Mac in those moments. He he's surprised by what is happening. It happens to me when I'm watching KMOV and Steve Savard. Anytime that one of the other reporters finds a way to get him to laugh, it kills me every time. Every time I lose it. It's incredible. All right. Well, I got something else that might make you lose it. And uh, I know you sent this to me a while back, oh, but boy. there's a there's a certain NFL player that, uh, well, his name's LaShawn McCoy, and he ranks the quarterbacks that he's played with and says that Tom Brady will always be number one. Well, that can't. That can't be right. It's, it's direct quote. It would be Tom Brady for sure. It would go Brady, then Mahomes, then Michael Vick, then Donovan McNabb. He played on the Chiefs last year. That's why I thought it was very interesting is that, you know, he's coming right off of what Patrick Mahomes, a young Patrick Mahomes, too, in his prime. And he's saying Brady's still the number one. Well, that's ridiculous. That's just, that's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Ron McCoy... I think he's just mad at what happened to him last year. He ended up getting deactivated. He wasn't even active for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. He's just bitter. That's all that is. He's bitter. Speaking of being bitter, I think we're going to see a lot of people turning on the Chiefs this year. This is no longer going to be fun for a lot of people. They were the cute, fun, lovable underdog story for a while. They're not going to be that this year. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The Golden State Warriors of football. I mean, they have so many options. You never know who's going to kill you. You, know, you take away Tyreek Hill, no problem. You look at Sammy Watkins really come alive. And then this rookie, you know, this Brian Westbrook clone. I mean, you think about Andy Reid, he has to be salivating the fact that he has a guy that can be you know, effective in space. And the big concern was, would, would he be able to, to stand up and hold up and pass protection? They didn't even give him the option. They just released him, got the ball to him, and got him in space. He's tough in between the tackles. That was Bart Scott on ESPN earlier the, earlier today talking about how the Chiefs are going to be the Warriors of the NFL. And I find that to be a really interesting comparison, Jamie. Not so much because of what they are as an offense. We've talked about that ad nauseum over the last couple of years. No, I'll take it the next step. The Warriors went from being a lovable underdog story with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond and all these guys that everybody really liked early on whenever they started that run, right? The first year of Steve Kerr as their head coach. Everybody really enjoyed watching them play. Then they got really good. I mean, really good. And they just kept adding and adding and adding. And then Kevin Durant signs with them and it's like, Everybody turned and <laughs> on the on the dime quickly. And it happens fast, man. It goes from we love you. We love you. We hate you. 
And that's what happened with the Warriors. After they won a little bit too much, a little bit too quickly, and kept adding talent while they were winning, people turned on him. And they became the hated team in the NBA. I think we're going to see something very similar from the Chiefs. The Chiefs were a cute cute story the first year whenever they went to the conference championship game with Patrick Mahomes and they lost to the Patriots. People really enjoyed watching that team because they were so new and so fun and so exciting with Mahomes. Last year, I still think there were some nationally that were like, wow, this is just awesome to watch. This is a really cool team. Patrick Mahomes is a really likable guy. I enjoy watching them. I started sensing it a little bit last night, and I think we're going to see it more as we go forward. This team is going to go from that, that everybody likes watching, to, man, we're done. We're done watching this team put up 34 on everybody. This is getting annoying, and they just added a first-round pick at running back to what they already had with Tyreek and Sammy and Travis and all this. We're done watching this team. I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want to hear about how great they are anymore. I think that's what's going to come next for them. Look, as a fan of a team that everybody hates, by the way, which is my Patriots, uh, when it started to flow for the Patriots. Belichick took over, and before Brady was even the guy there when they had Drew Bledsoe, everybody was cute. It was fun. Oh, hey, let's get a good team back in New England. It's a great market. Yeah, the Patriots are we're better with a great Patriots team in the NFL. Fast forward 20 years and six championships later, and some, oh, I'll call them suspicious things that happened along the way, huh. and they are, you know, they're hated. And I don't know if the Chiefs get to that point. One, they'd have to have that kind of success, which in talking to Sean Salisbury and listening to everybody else, talk, they potentially could have that kind of a run ahead of them, um, which would be great for them, great for Patrick Mahomes, and certainly great for the whole organization. But, yeah, as you win and as you become more dominant and as people find it almost pointless to watch your games because they know the outcome, you become hated. And so that'll be interesting, too. That's another battle that you have to go through as an organization, even as the athlete being on, you know, the dark side, Mm -hmm. because Tom Brady, for all those years, just thrived in that environment and didn't care that everybody hated the Patriots. In fact, played into it because he wanted them. Yeah, sure. Hate us more. By the way, order me another ring because it's coming. I'm curious because it's very rare for there to be a dynasty. And we'll see if the Chiefs can get there. They've won one Super Bowl so far. They've only been to the one. They're not there yet. They Let's not crown them before they get there. But they appear to be headed down that path, right, of at least competing for championships on an annual basis while Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback. The only dynasty that I can think of that was still beloved while doing the winning was the Bulls. I'm trying to think of if there was another one. Like, the Yankees were a dynasty. People hated them. The Patriots, a dynasty. People hated them. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if there has been another in a major professional American sport where they were doing the winning, and in the middle of that winning, while they were doing it after the first, second, third, people still really liked that team outside of that particular city. You're right, and I think... I think that particular scenario of the Chicago Bulls is because there were other really great teams in the league at the time that were hateable. Like yeah. the Pistons were hateable. Nobody liked them, right? And they seemed to be... And then the Pacers, nobody liked Reggie Miller. They thought... The oh, Knicks. The Knicks. Nobody enjoyed those teams. So then it was easier to actually like the best team. And the best team had a lot of great characters. Talk about Jordan. If you like that guy, great. If not, if you're not a Jordan guy, but you're a Pippen guy, or you're Dennis Rodman, or Horace Grant, or Steve Kerr, like you had a list of guys that you could be drawn to on that team. And so I think that that particular instance, I found that 
more teams around the league were easier to hate than the best team. Meanwhile, the Chiefs are not that team. Like they they employ Tyreek Hill, and he's an unbelievable wide receiver, but he's got plenty of stuff in his past where I can understand why people wouldn't enjoy watching that guy play or wouldn't enjoy rooting for that guy to play. Same thing with Frank Clark. Frank Clark's a really good football player, but I get it if you're not a huge fan of what his history is when he was at Michigan. So I... I will find it really interesting this year to see what that looks like in terms of nationally, how people view the Chiefs as they continue doing a lot of this winning, because I think they are going to continue doing a lot of the winning based on what we saw last night. I do want to make this other point as well. Patrick Mahomes, and I understand there's a lot of people that are like, why do you guys talk so much about the Chiefs? Why do you talk so much about Mahomes? Because I think he's going to be the biggest story in the NFL for the next decade. This is this is something that is really rare. I was looking it up last night, Jamie, because Mahomes was the youngest quarterback to win Super Bowl MVP. You do that nightly, though, don't you? Yeah, sometimes you get a nightly. He's on there looking bubble bath. Yeah, (laughs) bubble bath with with a cucumber over the eyes. (laughs) Uh, Last night it was more of the uh, sangria. I was going sangria last night. Yeah, really, really trying to relax after a big game. You know, deep thoughts. Exactly. All right. So I was trying to go through some of the other quarterbacks that have won multiple Super Bowls, right? When did they get those championship rings? And a lot of them, I was actually kind of surprised. They win them 27, 28, 30, which makes sense. That's around the prime of your career, right? Mahomes right now is like 24, about to be 25. The only comparison, if Mahomes gets another one this year, big if, but if Mahomes gets another one this year, the only real comparison, the only real peer for that would be Tom Brady. And this is where I find it uh, pretty compelling is that the only way to really compete with Brady, with what he accomplished, you've got to win them early because Brady got so many that it's almost like chasing ghosts. It's like the Michael Jordan thing, right? Not only did he get them, but when he went to the finals, he always won. He Mm -hmm. never lost once he got there. And so if you get there and you lose early, well, boom, there's your blemish on your resume. It's never going to be able to compete with Jordan, and it's over from there. You're just not going to be in that conversation with him. With Brady, you not only have to get to a bunch of them, you got to win them, and you got to win them early. Because then on the back end, you can start racking them up a little bit. It's like putting money into your 401k, right? you got to put it in early. It continues to build, and by the end, hopefully you've got what you need. That's what it's going to be for Mahomes. You've got to get those rings early to be able to offset what it's probably going to be in the middle when he's making all of this money, as you've mentioned so many times, Jamie. It's going to be tougher there for a little while in his mid-20s, maybe early 30s, to be able to rack up more. So get them early. Get them now while you're on that cheap contract and you've got all of these guys around you. This is going to be your best opportunity to start racking up some of those rings. Yeah, I agree. And the one thing, too, you have to look at, if if Patrick Mahomes is truly going to be in a discussion with someone like Tom Brady down the line. We're talking 30 years from now, okay? Tom Brady had 20 years of winning. Now, I know he only won, what, six championships? Only, yeah. I know, right? And it sounds crazy. But 20 years of winning football. Like, they, they never stunk. They never had a rebuild. They never, like, everything that they did continued to keep this thing flowing forward and winning football games they and won being. The division every year. And being not just a player in the league, but a prominent player as far as the, the, the Patriots team's concerned. So, along with all this stuff and along with what Patrick Mahomes can do, he has to remain healthy, too. Because if you're going to be in the same conversation as a Tom Brady, your body of work has to extend the same amount of games, the same amount of years, the same amount of success. Maybe you don't get to the same number of rings overall, but maybe Mahomes gets to three rings 
down the road, but he has 15 to 20 years of a successful career where the Chiefs are always winning their division every year in the playoffs. That, to me, would be at that point where you could have that conversation. But Brady's going to be tough only because of the longevity of his career and the consistent winning. Since 2002, Tom Brady, in terms of missing games due to injury, has missed games due to injury in one season. It was the year that he tore his ACL in the first game of the year. Yeah, they went on one, missed the with, rest what's of the his season. Name? Castle. Yeah, Matt Castle. <laughs> it was the only year that they didn't win the division because, of course, they didn't have Tom Brady that year. But otherwise, he missed four games back in 2016, but that was due to the suspension. That was not an injury <laughs> that he missed games accused. for. Oh, stop it. So, yeah, you're right. You, you've got to rack up the numbers in the regular season. You've got to throw for a ton of yards, a ton of touchdowns. We know all of this to be true. But really what we count for the for the quarterbacks is the rings. We look at how many rings you were able to win. And if Patrick Mahomes is able to rack some of those up early in his career, that is the only way you can get into the same conversation as Tom Brady because he set the bar so unbelievably high. And I know I joke about Tom Brady all the time. He's the GOAT, unquestioned GOAT. He's the best to ever do it at his position. And because of how many he got early, got those three out of the four, he's the last one to do it back-to-back. That's what Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do if he wants to be in that conversation at the end of his career. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's uh, 114, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's time for Jamie's favorite time of the week. One Gotta Go, coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Rebs and BK. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I was about to say Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to play One's Gotta Go 65780. Let's start with this one. One Gotta Go Candy Edition, boys. M&M's, Kit Kats, Snickers or Reese's? M&M's, Kit Kat, Snickers or Reese's? One's got to go, Jamie. Um, Let's see here. M&M's, I do enjoy the M&M's. Um, and the Reese's, I, I enjoy those too. Kit Kat's well, a sleeper. Good. Come on. I, I'm, listen, man, I'm <laughs> bringing you into my world right now. You ask me a question, it's I'm going to tell you. place. All right? I hide the women and children. I'm taking Snickers out of there. Snickers, got to go. Whoa. I'm going Snickers too. Whoa. Yeah. The same thing that makes Snickers great is what works against it. Okay. Because got- if you want something that's, you know, filling and this and that and the other. Okay, great. Yeah. You have the Snickers. Hence the commercials, right? Hey, hungry, grab a Snickers. Well, the same reason that I don't like it is sometimes I just want to have some candy. I don't want to have a meal in my chocolate bar. So Snickers, beat it. A Snickers? Yeah. Yeah, I said it. Snickers, goodbye. That's an awful decision. I mean, you have had some really unpopular opinions on this show. Oh, my gosh. Coming from you? I almost almost choked to death there. That's the worst one you've ever given. No way. By far the worst one. The correct answer here is the M&M's. M&M's got to get all the way up out of here. Are you kidding me? M&M's are fantastic. M&M's are perfectly adequate. They are they are a nice thing to have. You oh. like pop it up, popping one or two of those in, you're good, right? No. No, 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 no. Compared to the Kit Kat Snickers and the Reese's, I mean, we're talking like potential Mount Rushmore candies here. And you're adding M&M's to this list? Get all the way out of here. You got to have the M&M's. M&M's got to stay there. Are you kidding me? 
It's a perfect candy for if you just want a few of them. Grab a couple, throw a couple M&Ms, and wrap it back up nicely because you don't want them spill or anything like that. Snickers, you're pot committed, man. You take a bite of that Snickers, it's like eating a loaf of bread. And I like falling in the trap around like Christmas. You know, you got like M&Ms in a little bowl. You just walk up, yeah. grab a couple. I do it over and over. You don't see Snickers in exactly. a bowl. Exactly. No Snickers, no Kit Kat, no Reese's. One gotta go sleeper edition in the NFL. Here we go. Browns, Broncos, Cardinals, Lions. One gotta go NFL sleeper edition this year. Browns, Broncos, Cardinals, or the Lions. Who are you taking out? I'm taking out the Lions. Are you kidding me? No chance. That team is just terrible. I don't see any help for them. And I mean, they just signed what? Adrian Peterson? Your boy Matt Stafford? Guys, I li- listen, my boy Matt Stafford, he was only my boy if the Patriots would have picked him up. Um, he is a heck of a quarterback, but he's one. He's just one man, BK. He can't do it all. Lions are out of there. Not even not even close. Man, I wish this was two got to go because I'm torn between Browns and Lions, but I'm agreeing. I'm going Lions. There's, uh, I think you said it yesterday, <laughs> BK, their coach. Ugh. He's going to be the reason they lose. So sometimes I make this mistake where I buy into a team early in the season. There's one like clear fatal flaw, and I know going into the year, this is going to be the thing that does them in. A lot of the times, we don't look at the offensive lines, right? We get so infatuated with the receivers and the quarterback and the deep. You forget, oh, they, they're going to have like half a second to throw, and the quarterback's going to get destroyed, and they're not going to be able to run the football. And that's kind of important. Kind of. So we forget about the offensive line. The other thing that we forget about too often is how much a head coach really matters. The Lions have a terrible head football coach. (laughs) I mean, awful head football coach. But they're not my team that I'm going to go with here. I'm not buying all into them. I want to. I so badly want to pick them as a playoff team this year, but I won't allow myself to do it because of their head coach. Matt Patricia is just bad. One got to go has got to be the Broncos. What? Got to be the Broncos. Von Miller being out for the season. Not he, a great offensive line. He turns on Mizzou guys all the time. Uh, uh, you keep track. I Did got you a scoreboard. What Michael Porter Jr. said the other day. What? Oh, he left the game and basically he was like, "Hey, you know, Jokic and Murray, they're good players, but we got to get more people involved." Man, get all the way up out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys have been carrying you. You're the one of the worst defenders in the NBA right now. Get out of here. Michael Porter Jr. But yeah, uh, the Denver Broncos got to go. Wow. I would have thought for sure right there, the Drew Locke connection, you'd have been like, ah, oh, Mizzou, M-I-Z, you know, that whole thing there. Cardinals for sure. I think Kyler Murray's a great prospect there. The Browns are intriguing uh, for several reasons. I want to see what Baker Mayfield can do if he's the real deal. Uh, OBJ going through a bit of a he- crappy time right now, but um He'll probably get back around to it. He's going to get himself down into the mud a few times this year, I think. <laughs> it's going to get ugly. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for one got to go. Jamie, I'm going to give you an option with just two players. Just two players this time around. One got to go Cardinals offseason trade options. Ooh. Nolan Arenado, Francisco Lindor. One got to go two options. Who's got to go Cardinals trade options for the offseason? Um, so the one that I say has got to go is not the one I want for the Cardinals, right? So one's got to go. Francisco Lindor's got to go. Yep. Give me Arenado. Okay. I'm kind of on the same. No explanation. Well, <laughs> what, what, one, he's a third baseman, right? Yes. So solve some of your problems there. You don't have to move to Young over at that point. Yes, Tommy Edmond is a great third baseman. Maybe there's a little bit of a, a traffic jam there. That's one I'm willing to accept. 
you address the middle of the order bat. You get a nice guy like that in on there. To me, it solves a lot of problems. Heck, you can move Tommy Edmond out to the outfield. His bat is consistent enough right now to keep at least putting guys on the bags. So that would, for me, that's the one that makes sense. Yeah, that's why I'm going with the one that's got to go is Lindor. I want Arenado, even though it's a bigger contract. Like you said, natural third baseman, don't have to move to Young. You can shift Edmund out to left field. Boom, our lineup is set. As long as we bring Brad Miller back to DH, but the lineup is set. <laughs> yeah, Mills, he's got to stick around. So here's my concern with Nolan Oh, Arenado. here we go. Here's my concern with Nolan Arenado. This year, at home, batting 310. Ah, I knew the splits were coming. On the road, batting 225. Last year, at home, hit 350. On the road, a respectable 277. Two years ago, at home, hit 350 again. On the road, 250. Nolan Arenado the previous year before that. At home, 340 batting average. On the road, again, a respectable 280. And then finally, we'll go back one more season five years ago. At home, hit 315 and on the road, 275. He's a good hitter on the road. A, a An objectively good player. At home, he's one of the best hitters we've ever seen in the history of baseball. Like, it is ridiculous what he does at Coors Field. And so I'm not saying he is a Coors um, product. He's not a product of the place where he plays, of the ballpark. But it does help him. It does accentuate some of those numbers a little bit. Without playing there, I think we would look at Nolan Arenado as a really, really good player. One of the better players in baseball. While playing there, though, it does boost those numbers to a degree that is a little higher than he would be here. I don't even know why we did this one, because BK doesn't like either of these players. What? Right? No, stop for a second. I love Remember? Francisco Lindor. No, you don't. You told us he was crappy at bat, right? No. Earlier this show, you're like, well, he's kind of an average guy at bat. Oh, yeah, he compared him to Fowler, if yeah, I remember correctly. He's, he's just like Dexter Fowler. So, okay, so then we're like, okay, I guess Lindor's not the guy. Now we come up, Arenado comes up, oh, well, you know, he only hits well at home. So, why are we even having a discussion? BK thinks both guys suck, so I guess they both got to go. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm bang on with this right now. What are your official NFL predictions? By the way, Nolan Arenado got to go. Your NFL predictions, who do you have making the postseason this year? Jamie and I will give our official predictions and some of the top storylines for week number one in the NFL this weekend. We'll get to it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The NFL season is officially here. That means you should check out FanDuel.com and use the promo code Brandon. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Brandon, you should also be prepared for our official playoff predictions. Jamie, we get seven teams this year from either conference. What a bonus. You get an extra team, an extra game (laughs) on Wild Card Weekend. I can't wait for it. It's going to be great. I do think there are a few teams that we can just go ahead and throw out there that say and say we both agree that team is going to win the division. I think there's one in particular. Of course, I'm talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. We both have them winning the AFC West, right? Do we? Jamie? Just double checking. Yes, I've got. Okay, so we've got the Chiefs in the postseason. I think that's kind of where the unanimous decisions will end for the two of us. Let's continue in the AFC if that works for you. Yeah, that works for me. Let's go in the AFC North. Yes. Who do you have winning the AFC North this year? I got the Steelers. Wow. I thought I was going to come up with an unpopular opinion right here. No. I agree. No, I got the Steelers. Why Steelers Uh, over the Ravens for you? But it's with an asterisk, okay? 
The reason is if Ben can stay healthy. Yeah. Um, because, you know, what, a week ago I was all over the Ravens. I'm just not sure anymore. And I do – I you did say something last week that was really good, was, was shocking to me, actually. That's why it stuck with me that you had something good to say. But anyways – you did say that they managed to win those games last year. What, nine wins? Eight wins, eight, eight and eight on the season. Eight and eight without Ben. Yep. So that actually tells a pretty big story right there. And if, if Roethlisberger can stay healthy, you know, that's potentially, you know, a 12-win team, in my opinion. I agree. I think that we're looking at the Steelers this year, and I think you very well could see the best defense in the league in Pittsburgh. I think they have that kind of potential. I think there's about three or four teams this year that have the opportunity to finish the season as the best defense. The Steelers are one of those. And if you look at what they have outside, there was a reason why people were excited about the Steelers going into last year. James Connors, a proven, really good running back. If you look outside of their weapons, Juju Smith-Schuster was amazing two years ago. Last year had a rough season, and some of that is probably because he didn't have AB on one of the other sides. A lot of it, though, is just as simple as they didn't have the quarterback to pair with them last year. So I'm going with the Steelers as well. That being said, I do also have the Ravens making the playoffs as a wild card team. Do you too? Absolutely. So I've got two teams out of the AFC North. Do you have anybody else coming out of the AFC North this year? Uh, No, I have nobody else coming out of the AFC North. Let's go to the AFC South. For me... I'm going with the Indianapolis Colts to win the division. I also have the Texans to make the postseason. I have the Titans missing out entirely this year, and we don't need to bring up the Jaguars. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's where we are a little different. Uh, Even though last night, you know, wasn't very promising, you have to remember that for the Texans, that was the Super Bowl champions. For the Texans, as Sean Salisbury said, they're basically we're playing a, a team of superheroes. In the Kansas City Chiefs, (laughs) you know, and and so I don't use that as my measuring stick. So for me, I have the Texans winning that division. I still got them winning the division. I I have them winning the division and I have the Titans. I'm going to have two out of the South. I have the Titans getting in as a wild card. So you do not have the Colts getting in. No love for my guy, Philip Rivers from you. I'm done. We broke up. Remember, I told you my cousin, Philip Rivers last year, every time I bet on the games that he played in and I'd always say, I'm sticking with the family. Got to go with Rivers. He'd lose. So I'm like, I'm out. You're done. He's got the best at my house anymore. You and your 12 kids are not coming over for Sunday brunch anymore. He has the best offensive line he's ever played behind. He's got a receiver in T.Y. Hilton that I think is quite good. And he's got a really good running game this year, along with Frank Reich, who has a history with and is one of the better offensive minds in football. I'm taking the Colts. I think they're going to win that division. The Texans, I... I'm a little worried about the start that they have this year. They have a really difficult schedule. They could easily start 0-4, but I've still got them in the wild card. Let's go over to the AFC East. Yes. I've got the Bills winning the division. I I made the decision last night officially. I'm sticking with it. I think that if you take out the quarterback, and this is impossible to do in football, of course, but if you take out the quarterback, they very well may have the most well-rounded roster around their quarterback in the NFL. They are really good defensively. I love their head coach in McDermott. I have questions about Josh Allen, but some of them are the same questions that I have about Cam Newton in New England, and I just think that the Bills roster is better. So I'm going with the Bills. I do have New England as my third and final wildcard team, though. All right, so I have both of those teams as well. Now I have them in different order. I do think that this change for Cam Newton has certainly re-sparked that, that intensity, that energy, for him, and I think in some ways it's reinvigorated Bill Belichick as well. 
a couple reasons. One, I think he really wants to prove as a coach and as an organization how well they can play without Tom Brady. And he also has something else to, to, to prove as well. He had, what, five, six guys opt out for the season? Mm-hmm. I believe that's what the yep. number was, like relevant guys. that. So to me, Belichick thrives in the face of adversity, in the face of, like, you can't do this. Guess what? I can. And his first project was Cam Newton, who looks like he couldn't be happier. And if that's the case, if there's this different, just a slight change of energy around that team, it might really spark them. So I have the Patriots winning that division. And then to your point, I think the Bills have a heck of a team. The quarterback for me is the one where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but I still have them making the playoffs as a wildcard team. That's amazing. So we have six out of the same seven teams in the AFC. The only difference is I have the Colts winning the AFC South. You have the Texans winning the AFC South. You have the Titans getting in. I have the Texans as my wildcard team. So we just have one team flip-flopped in the AFC South. Otherwise, we have the same. Let's go over to the NFC. NFC East. Let's start there. I have two teams from this division getting in. I have the Cowboys winning it. I have the Eagles making it as a wild card team for me. I'm going two teams from the East. The Cowboys, who I think might have the best record in the conference this year, and the Eagles making it in the NFC East. What do you have in that? Uh, For that one there, I've got the Cowboys winning the division, and that's it out of that. Nobody else coming out. Nope, nobody else coming out. Carson Wentz is going to get hurt again, and that team will be mediocre for the rest of the season. I think you're going to like my next one. In the NFC West. Oh, you're going there. Okay. I have one team coming out into the postseason. It is the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks are my only team coming out of the NFC West this year. I do not have the Cardinals making it. I do not have the Rams making it. I do not have the 49ers making it. I have the Seahawks winning the division. I trust Russell Wilson implicitly. I trust Pete Carroll. I think they are going to be the team that wins that in that division this year. Okay, I'm with you. I think the Seahawks are definitely winning that division. However, however, I do lean a little bit to the side that the 49ers will get in there as a wildcard team. I think that, look, a lot of people think it was kind of a fluke last year. Me being one of them, I take a lot of heat on the text line from our 49ers fans. Yeah. Don't don't think that uh, they like me. Um, but I think they get in as a wildcard. So right now I have the Seahawks winning that one. And the Niners in as a wild card. Let's go to the NFC North, where I have one team getting into the postseason. Once again, I'm sure I'm going to upset some of our audience. I've got the Vikings, and that's the only team that I've got getting in this year from the NFC North. No Packers, no Lions, no Bears. Oh, my. Only the Vikings in the NFC North getting in for me. Who do you have from that division? Yeah, same. I got the Vikings winning that division. I got nobody else. I mean, I, I did. I toyed with the idea of the Packers just because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be tremendously motivated, especially with the young kid nipping at his heels and everybody talking about it. Sometimes that brings the best out of an elite athlete, but I just don't think they have the firepower to get it done. And if they're in the wild card race, I think there's other teams that are better than them that'll be ahead of them in the wild card. And the last one, we've got to go to the NFC South, Jamie. And listen, I've talked crap all offseason. I can't do it anymore. I've got the Bucks winning the division. I think that's a really good team. That defense was quite good a year ago. They got put in some really difficult position positions with um, Jameis Winston throwing. I think it was 30 interceptions, and he had 39 turnovers a year ago overall. Tom Brady, listen, you can say whatever you want about him. He's not going to put him in those terrible situations defensively. I've got the Bucks winning the division. I have three teams coming out of this division next year. I've got the Bucks, the Saints, 
and the Falcons all making the postseason from the NFC South, South, South this upcoming year. A big part of it, Jamie, is they get the AFC West as a cross-conference matchup this year. Outside of the Chiefs, that, that division stinks. So I think they're going to be able to rack up some wins. I've got the Bucks, the Saints, and the Falcons all making it out of the South with the Bucks winning that division. Yeah, I'm, I've got the Bucks winning the division. Uh, I think that uh, I'm anxious to see them play. I really am. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do. It's the number one storyline this weekend. No question about it. The Bucks playing the Saints on Sunday is going to be the number one story, the number one game that I am the most glued into on Sunday. Yeah, and so uh, I think the Bucks are going to be successful. I really do. And I also think that the New Orleans Saints are going to have a good year. Again, I think Drew Brees, even though he's not the Drew Brees in his prime, he's still got a lot of weapons out there, and he's still a, a He's a gunslinger. He can throw the ball quite a bit. So I see the Saints getting in there as a wild card. So you have the – which teams are your NFC wild card teams? Okay, I have uh, – let me go through this. I chicken scratched it here. <laughs> I've got the Cowboys yep. winning the East with nobody else. You've got the Bucks winning the South. You've got the Seahawks winning the West and the Vikings winning the North. Who were your wild card teams? I had the 49ers, the Saints, and – oh, yeah, I'm missing one. <laughs> So I was like, I think you only picked six. <laughs> Who do you That's want as your Nobody seventh? else is good enough. That's Who are you it. adding in? You know what? If I'm going to do that, oh, and I hate to do this because I just... But if I'm looking back, then I will have the Packers come in there as a wildcard team. Okay. A last-second addition from one Jamie Rivers. He's Chicken got the scratches over here. My, my bad. My Super Bowl pick, I have the Chiefs winning. Surprise, surprise. You could have seen that one coming over the Seahawks. I think it's going to be the first time that we see a back-to-back champion in the last 26 years. It's the longest drought we've ever had in the NFL of a team not winning back-to-back Super Bowls. I think it ends after this season. We've got the Seahawks coming out of the NFC. Jamie, what is your official Super Bowl prediction as we are Two days away from the real start of the NFL season, the, uh, the Sunday main slate. Yeah, um, I'm going to be a little bit of a salmon swimming upstream here, and uh, I'm going to say that the Chiefs are going to get upset okay. by Lamar Jackson this year. I okay. think that the Ravens will end up in the Super Bowl on that side, and I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to go from the NFC, and uh, I do think that uh, they won't have enough, though. I think the Ravens are going to win it this year. I like it. Tanner, who's your Super Bowl prediction real quick before I've we get out of here? the 49ers taking down the oh, Chiefs. Get out oh, of here. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We're, We're crossing there. things over with the fast <laughs> lane next. Off. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's newest store. Number 41 in Eureka is now open. Who do we have? Alongside Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Guess I'm just on the air. <laughs> Hot Mike, hot Mike. things over with the fast lane. They are out at uh, the Budweiser Brew House in Ballpark Village. Boys, I don't know who we have today. How you guys doing out there? You, you got me because the other two, uh, <laughs> BT here, uh, the, the, the other two heard you guys. And they're like, nah, uh, we're good. So they're going to take an extra, you know, 10, 15 minutes off. But we are uh, the dream out here, man. We're at the Budweiser up top, uh, looking down on Bush Stadium. There are thousands. Are you in the Grand Canyon? 
What is happening out there, BT? Hello, hello, hello. BT, are you in the Grand Canyon? Because today, we just had a tremendous today, echo. Today, is it still doing it? No, no, I no think we're good, good now. now. Oh, damn it, it ruined everything. I, I actually thought God was talking to me for a second. <laughs> well, did you listen? I'm very closely. All right, good, good. No, man, we're out here uh, outside at, over at the Ballpark Village, a Budweiser brew house, the terrace up top. Man, we're looking forward to a good day of baseball and a, a weekend. And uh, congratulations, BK, to your Chiefs. Meat's been gloating the entire time since he's been here. You guys look pretty good. Hey, listen, um, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I have held off. I want our listeners to know this. I have held off for two hours and 51 minutes from giving my real take from last night. I'm not sure that this team can't go 16 and 0. Like, oh I think, my god! I, I think it is at least in play that if there's a team that can do it, I think this might be the one. 07 was the last time that we saw it with the Patriots. This team has some 07 Patriots-like tendencies. The offense is very difficult to stop, as we saw last night, where they just coasted into 34 points. I, I don't think that they will go 16 and 0. That being said, if there is a team that could do it, I think it might be this one, BT. Uh, are you forgetting the fact that the Chiefs do in play, in fact, play the Las Vegas Raiders? Are we forgetting about that? <laughs> no, actually, that's that's a significant part of the prediction is that the division stinks this year. Because I think that that is going to be a real challenge. You know, week five, they're going to come into your place uh, probably with an intimidation factor. And then all of a sudden, week 11, you got to go to Vegas. You got to go to the old uh, uh, the the Death Star is what it looks like, and that place will be crazy full of nobody. So, <laughs> hey, there there was nothing about watching the Chiefs uh, last night. Uh, there was nothing that had you say, "Oh yeah, they, they have a, a little bit of a hole right there." <laughs> Clyde Edwards-Alaire was ridiculous and good for him. And we were talking about this on the show yesterday, and I'm sure you guys were as well. It's not like everything was perfect for Mahomes last year. Uh, his uh, passer rating wasn't great. Completion percentage wasn't great. He's just learning how to read defenses in general. Like, uh, not to just continue to pile on, because I'm sure people are, are tired of hearing you talk about how great Mahomes oh, are, we ever. are. But the arrow is certainly pointing up. It's not like this guy just signed a big contract and we've already seen him at his best. I don't believe that to be the fact. And the craziest part is he was just okay last night. Like, his numbers, if you look at what he did, 24 for 32, 211 yards, three touchdowns. That's an average game for or, uh, the touchdowns. That's a good game for a lot of quarterbacks. 24 for 32 for 211 yards. Like, you could see that from 20 different quarterbacks across the league on Sunday. He was solid last night, but they didn't even have to have him do anything spectacular because Clyde Edwards-Alaire, as you mentioned, 25 carries for almost a buck 40 on the ground. When you're getting that kind of production from your running back, I mean, I don't know what you do if, if you're a defense. I, I don't know how you stop that because now you've got the running game that's going to be a problem. They had Kaleche Simile as their new left guard, and I won't go too far into it, but their offensive line was better last night than it was most of the season a year ago. And I think people forget Patrick Mahomes played one game last year while he was healthy in the regular season. One. He ended up twisting his ankle really badly, had the high ankle sprain. That was hurting him. And then he had the knee that was on sideways for the rest of the year. And somehow they still went and won the Super Bowl. 
if he's healthy this year and you've got those weapons, it, the, the sky really is the limit. Like this is this is greatest show on turf type of stuff that we could see. Imagine now you pissed everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And BT, can you imagine how good they could have been had Andy Reid been able to see the game? Oh my oh god! My god. I, the amount of gifts that I saw with Andy Reid and like like looking through fog that was fantastic. Like everything about Andy Reid there, like it makes him more lovable, doesn't it? Like. Why Watching mm-hmm. him coach, and apparently that's like an everyday thing. Like that's his go-to at practice is like that mass. So uh, I was listening to one of the guys uh, being interviewed after the game, and he was asked about that jokingly. And he said, "Oh yeah, we see that every day." <laughs> yeah. he wears them in meetings. Like the the shield is just his go-to. He, he doesn't he use the mask; he uses the shield instead. That's his thing. Well, I, wouldn't you prefer that if you were a coach? I'd prefer a mask or a shield instead of the mask. Yeah, but I'd like to be able to see the game. Day. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> you, I, I, maybe they'll be able to buy him or build him some sort of a hybrid, like some, something where, or at least a, a defogger, right? I mean, there's got to be some sort of machine. Look, it's 2020. We have technology uh, out the wazoo. We can do uh, super crazy things. Why can't we get him a mask that doesn't fog up or a shield that doesn't fog up? That's the next million-dollar idea, boys. Once you get going on that, I would like to be in on this. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure it exists. He just doesn't know about it. Like <laughs> He's un- unwilling to use it. <laughs> Andy Reid is just – he is the same age as my grandparents, and he just – just like my grandpa, who didn't want to have a debit card whenever it was 2010, Andy Reid just – he was like, what do I need to wear? They told him the face shield, and he was just done. That was the end. That was all he thought about it going into that one. BT1. One quick question for you as we're heading into the first weekend of the NFL season. Everybody's got that sleeper team, right? You love having that team that you're like, I'm in on them, despite the fact that other people are not. Who's that team for you this year in the NFL? Well, sleeper probably isn't the right term for them, I don't think, because everybody... I just feel like they're actually going to get over the hump this year. So it's not fair because the division is kind of up in shambles, but they, they've been an 8-8 eight and eight team forever. I think that the Cowboys are going to go on a big run. I really do. And I, I know that they're not a sleeper by any means, but I think that the Cowboys are going to win the division. I think they'll do so handedly, and, and I think that they go on a run, and it wouldn't shock me if they're in the Super Bowl. I like it. I have them as the having the best record in the NFC this year as well. I'm in on that. And obviously, the the Raiders aren't a sleeper to anybody. You know, I'm following <laughs> them, and they're gonna be they're gonna be great. The offense they're gonna figure out how to score. They sucked in the red zone last year. Obviously, they'll figure that out. Rugs is gonna help a little bit. Yeah, they're they're gonna be a juggernaut. I mean, yeah, how right. you you can only <laughs> hope to contain them. For what it's worth, BT, I think they're gonna get off to a really nice start this week against the Panthers. Have you looked at their schedule coming up? Yeah, it's daunting. The Saints <laughs> at the Patriots, the Bills, Chiefs, Bucks. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, that is just insanity. You're going up against like Hall of Fame quarterbacks every week, <laughs> and then you've got Josh Allen, who has an unbelievable team around him. To be the best, BK, you have to beat the best. BT, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Man, We're going to talk about this stuff. We're done talking about Patrick Mahomes and the greatness of him. Meat's going to be pissed off. We're going to talk some Cardinals. Bullpen, Giovanni Gallegos is hurt. That's going to be a problem. We'll talk about that. We're going to have Danny Mack. All kinds of good stuff on a football Friday. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Tanner, thanks so much for all of the help the last couple of days. Ferrario will be back with us on Monday. Until then, the Fast Lane's coming up next. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.